0: Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Uh, Let's uh, turn together and go to scripture together. 1 Kings 19 contains my assignment as we've been studying the Old Testament character Elijah in this series entitled Hills and Valleys. And how many of you have enjoyed this little mini-series? You like this mini-series on Elijah? Good stuff. Yeah, I sure have. And I received an email from one of our newest people, part of our church family here, Amanda and her family, and she writes this, you know, it's not by accident I found Pathways on YouTube as we relocated from Missouri to Wisconsin. By the way, can we uh, just give it up for all of our online church family, whether you're in Missouri or in Florida or in Colorado, we're so glad that you're with us today joining us. And, and so it's not by accident that you're here, just like it wasn't by accident that Amanda and her family found Pathways Church on YouTube. And so, She wrote this. She said, my family has been through many hills and valleys. Can you relate? Many hills and valleys since she decided that her life was going to be for Jesus Christ. She said, thankful for this church, for your teachings on the word, and joining a small group. This sermon series, I didn't know how timely it would be in my life. We're going through a valley as our rental is being put on the market for sale, which means we are quickly on the search for our own home, which these days, that's like an impossible task, right? And so she said, we're prepared, but the Lord knows we're not fully prepared, but my faith is strengthened as a confident Christian. I love this next sentence. She says, as soon as we hit that hilltop, I will be shouting his praises for answering prayers, another miracle as seen in the Bible and in my very own life. I will not be surprised. I will be grateful. Hashtag Christian. Amanda, we're standing with you. We're going to shout with you on the hilltop, and we're going to believe that God has something good in store for your future. Well, we rejoice today for God's presence through his word, the Bible, and through his Holy Spirit as we anticipate what he has for the future of our lives together. And how many of you know we are standing on the foundation of his faithfulness? We're standing on the foundation of his faithfulness. Amen? 1 Kings nineteen. Verse 3a, let's read together. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Huh? Uh, Elijah running? Are you, aren't you talking about the prophet Jonah? Elijah running for his life? Confident faith does not preclude weak moments. And weak moments doesn't prevent confident faith. Sometimes weak moments and confident faith walk side by side. Elijah, friends, he was running. He did it. He did it. He was running for his life. He was running so fast that Forrest Gump had nothing on this prophet. That's how fast he was running, which naturally raises the question, well, why is he running? Well, the text tells us he's running because he's afraid. Afraid of who? He's afraid of a woman by the name of Jezebel. Remember Jezebel? Jezebel is married to the most wicked, the worst king of 19 kings in the northern kingdom, a guy by the name of Ahab. And there must have been something about this woman, Jezebel. I mean, she must have been evil because she issued this threat to take Elijah's life and he got rattled, he was shook, he was out of there. So much so that the text tells us in the second part of verse three that when he came to Beersheba in Judah, which is the most Southern city in Judah, so he was running, he was running, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness see while the people of god the nation of israel was coming out of a drought that's the last story in chapter 18 elijah is entering into one now this wilderness isn't something that you can see but it's a place that we've all lived in nobody knows we're there it's not like elijah is selling his stuff on marketplace to pay rent this wilderness is different it's like nobody can see it but yet Elijah's soul is beginning to dry up. Now, this is the same Elijah who just in chapter 18 was on the top of Mount Carmel and he called fire down from heaven and God destroyed the altar. He stood in front of the people and he said, quit wavering. This is the same Elijah who had the confidence to climb the mountain is now caving emotionally and the resolve is gone. This is the same Elijah who who now hears this threat from Jezebel. A woman who he knows good and well is not going to kill him. Can't kill him. You know why? Because he just destroyed all of her 850 prophets and he put her, her false gods to shame on Mount Carmel. But now he is emotionally crumbling. And her threat is so large and looming over his life. The question is, why? What is happening here? Well, in my view, there is a level of distortion. Everybody say distortion. You remember before we had all of the uh, streaming services, you would have TV and you would have like five stations and you would dial it on, you would have to, and you had to move the rabbit ears. Do you remember that? If you're under like 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But unless you were poor and you couldn't afford cable and then you took, right? You know what I'm saying? And then at like 1130 or midnight, at midnight, they would play the Star-Stangle, Star-Stangled Banner and then it would go, Ksh. remember that? Okay. This is exactly what's taking place with Elijah. There are some, would go, Ksh. distortion, distortion. If the enemy can't destroy you, he'll distort your perspective with a distraction. And you know how he'll do that? He'll do that through a fear. He'll maximize the fear in your life and he'll minimize the greatness of God in your life. He'll do it through, through, through a pain, through a tragedy. He'll do it through your past. He'll do it, in Elijah's case, he did it through a person. The person was Jezebel. And now he hears this threat And he is on the run. He left a servant there. He's in the most southern part of Judah. And he's entering into this wilderness. Now, let's see what takes place. Verse 4b, it says this. He came to a broom brush. It's kind of a desert desert, uh, uh, plant. And he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. For some reason, that just seemed like an appropriate summer scripture to me. Uplifting, building in every day, every way, I just thought, you know let, Let's talk about death in the summer. But this is exactly where he was. You have to forgive me. Like, this can be the reality of our lives, no matter what season. It might be outside. Inside, we might be in a wilderness, in a valley. God, take my life. God, would you kill me? And he said this. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Come on. Have you ever said to God, would you just take my life? I can't handle this anymore, God. There is too much to bear. I have had enough. Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? This is exactly where Elijah was. I've had enough. You know when you've had enough and you're a young parent, your kids know, you know? They're kind of like, whoa, mom's calling me by my middle name. Whoa, we've pushed dad way over the edge. He's had enough, right? Elijah's had enough. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. He has this understanding that God was his protector, but that didn't prevent the pain from being real. The pain was real. He had enough. Elijah was not only distorted in his perspective by the enemy's distraction of Jezebel, but Elijah entered into a great season of disappointment. Say disappointment. disappointment. You know, disappointment comes in all shapes and sizes. Disappointment oftentimes can lead us to defeat. Disappointment can, can, can really energize our, our decision-making around some bad choices and entering into some dark places. Disappointment can, man, it can do a number on your life. And I want you to listen today to three individuals who are part of Pathways, Nathan and Jeremy and Heidi, and I want you to listen to some of the disappointments that, that built up in their life that led them to the lowest valley that they had ever experienced. Watch this.
1: My name is Nate.
2: My name's Heidi.
1: My name is Jeremy Andrew Altmeyer, and this is my story.
2: This is my story. My journey with alcohol began... The night my mom passed away, (laughs) she had had a battle with cancer for a few years. At that time in my life, I didn't drink at all. Like, we didn't even have alcohol in our house. And um, some of her family had come over because she had died at home on hospice, and they had a bottle of wine. And they were like, let's toast to Mary. And, you know, I'm like, well, I want to toast to Mary. You know, she's my mom. So I took a glass and drank it, and the warmth... And that feeling I felt immediately, probably because I wasn't a drinker at the time. And it gave me such relief that I had not felt in years that I quickly spiraled out of control to deal with the loss. I just turned 31, so it's not something that, like, I've dealt with my whole life. It's been for the last 12 years that I've dealt with it. And it gets normalized so often.
3: At a fairly young age, I think the first time I I tried a beer or drinking was, you know, when I was probably uh, maybe age 12 or 13, you know, my friends would be all done and I could still be going. You know, like I had a really high tolerance. You know, when you start getting, drinking that much, your bad hangover's turn into first thing in the morning, cracking a beer to get rid of that bad hangover. And I think that's what started when I discovered, probably in my 20s, when I discovered day drinking, it became more of a need to feel
1: normal i had my first sip and probably got got drunk the first time when i was about 15 and a half like 16 years old it started from the the death of a friend when i moved to florida first kid i met came like a brother um you know his loss he was murdered um i get a message from not a message from my friend but he comes into class he's like hey did you hear about joey And i'm like no he's like joey was murdered and uh, the crazy part of the story is, uh, it was like, I knew who the guy was. It was like, we were all a group of friends. Uh, his name was Mario. And uh, he was the one that had uh, murdered Joey. And uh, he wound up stabbing him. And he uh, stabbed him over like a hundred times. It really hit me, cause like, you know, I'd seen him, I seen him that afternoon the night it happened, because it happened in the night, at nighttime. And he wanted me to come hang out with him, and I, I lied. And I think that was one thing that I think really struggled with me for a while, because I wanted to go hang out with him. And I think I felt like guilt, because like, you know, what if I would have been there? Like, that might have not happened, or I might not be here. I never really dealt with it until I got sober, so pretty much alcohol was like my crutch. That's when the chain started. I went hard when I turned 21, and I got, uh, shortly after that, I got my first two OWIs.
2: This round that I'm in right now is my second attempt at sobriety. I think I made it just over a year, and then it was in 2020, and had a bad day. And I reached out to somebody, but I knew that somebody probably wouldn't answer. So I went and got a bottle of wine and drank the whole thing. I would function, I'd work, I'd do all my stuff. It'd be as soon as five o'clock came, it couldn't come past enough. And then I would just drink straight until I pretty much passed out at 8.30 or nine at night.
1: I totaled my car when I got arrested for my fourth OWI back in June 6th, 2018. That's pretty much when my life changed right there. That was the ultimate low point because I rolled my car eight times and I walked away without a scratch. I was actually sitting in my jail cell and I was remembering what the officer had said to me, and I blew a .38, and I said to the cop, I'm like, that's bad, isn't it? He's like, no, what's bad is, is you're having a functioning conversation, and you're coherent, you're very responsive. He's like, that's what the scary part is. My mom got the call from the officer. I was going to meet them for a Friday fish fry, and I was about a mile and a half away, and the officer had called my mom. And just talking to her. She's crying. I'm crying. We, uh, I get off the phone with her. And uh, that's when uh, I went back into the jail cell. And that's kind of when I sat down and just got on my knees and said, God, I was like, I surrender my life to you. I was like, I was like, help me conquer this demon of alcoholism.
2: A year ago, at this time, I was in a, a very low valley where... I have, I would type in my phone at night after I had been drinking, of course, because my feelings would just flow. So I wouldn't tell anybody, but I feel like if I had shared what I would written in my little notes on my phone, my family would have been very alarmed. Like I wanted to die. I flat out wanted to die. I wanted to just curl up under my bed and never come out. I was in just this awful depression. And
0: just like Heidi wanted to die, that's exactly where Elijah was. He was so low, the disappointment was so overwhelming that he wanted to die. In Heidi's case, it was the grief over her mother's loss. For Jason, it was the guilt because Joey, his friend, was stabbed a 100 times, and he lied, and he wasn't there. For Nathan, it was the influences of a couple buddies when he was just a middle school student. The disappointment led them to a place of defeat. Now, in Elijah's case, it was a little different. See, his disappointment was a different kind of disappointment. Remember how I said disappointment comes in all sizes and shapes? Actually, Elijah was disappointed because he was running after a hilltop, not a valley. He, he was running. See, you would have expected Elijah to run for his life if he stood on Mount Carmel in chapter 18 and he called down fire from heaven and fire didn't fall. Then you would have expected him to run. You, you would have expected Elijah to run if, if he went up on Mount Carmel and he issued this challenge and he stood before all of the nation of Israel and he said, quit wavering, stop wavering. The time is now. Turn back to God. And the false prophets called fire from Baal, the fire god, and Asherah, his wife, and fire fell. Then you would have expected Elijah to run if he had lost the showdown. You would have expected Elijah to run if he'd have taunted the false prophets, and actually their God was the one true God, and his God was the false God. You would have expected him to run. But Elijah ran because he was disappointed by something that we have to learn through the experience of life. And that is this. He ran because he realized that blessings invite more battles. See, Elijah thought that after The the, the fire would fall, that after the drought was over, that after the people of God saw the one true God, that they would repent, that they would turn their hearts back to God, that they would serve God with everything inside of them. And when he didn't see this fast enough and soon enough, when revival didn't break out the way that he expected, he got disappointed. And he realized that the blessing of the hilltop actually led him into the valley of disappointment. You remember when we used to pray that prayer in the church? Increase my territory, enlarge my territory. I think it was like the prayer of Jabez or whatever. Remember that prayer, right? Increase my territory. You know, when God increases your territory, that's more grass to cut. That's more property taxes to pay. That blessing brings on some more battles that you gotta level up and you gotta deal with. And see, I'm not sure that Elijah actually, I'm not sure that his greatest fear was the threat that was issued by Jezebel, that she was gonna take his life. I think his greatest fear was the fact that the people of God wouldn't change. And so he got to this place where the threat became a distraction because it was so maximized in his, his heart and he was so disappointed and he was emotionally, he was so Depleted. In fact, scripture says this in verse five. It says, Then he laid down under the brush and he fell asleep. He is so physically and mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually depleted. Do you know that it takes a lot of energy to have confident faith? You know what I'm talking about? It takes a lot of energy to believe that God is going to heal, that he will restore, that he will do a miracle. It takes a lot of energy, especially it can take a lot of energy even amongst believers. That's why for a lot of believers, it's easy to be lukewarm. It's easy to be a casual Christian because when you're a casual Christian, you don't need to have a confident faith. You could just be a name only. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but inside your faith is weak. Why? Because It takes energy to have confident faith. It takes energy. I mean, friends, he stood on the, he was at the highest hill, the highest mountain of his life, and he called fire down from heaven. Imagine, 850 prophets. He put everybody to shame. He stood in front of the nation. He had exerted so much energy. And do you know when you exert that kind of energy, it leaves you exposed. When you exert that kind of energy, you come off that kind of a high, man, you're wide open for the enemy's attack, and you know where he messes with you the most, in your mind. He's not going to mess with you on the external things, because he knows that you just called down fire from heaven. So he'll start messing with you in your mind, and you can't fight that battle because you are depleted. Depletion, depletion. Depletion just totally, he was exhausted. He was so exhausted. But God is so faithful when we are exhausted. God still provides for us when we have nothing in the tank. God fills our tank. Amen. God is so gracious that even in the midst of us running from Him, you can run out on God, but you can, never, you can 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 never outrun God. And so the text tells us He falls asleep under the broom brush. He wakes up, and what does God do? Without Elijah doing anything, God provides for him bread, warm bread, and fresh water. Remember when he did that before? He was in the Kirith Ravine in chapter 17, right? What did God do? God gave him Chick-fil-A from heaven. The birds dropped down Chick-fil-A from heaven in 17 and gave him a brook that didn't dry up. In 19, now he has Panera bread and water by a warm fire. How does this happen? Because God always provides for his kids. He always provides for his children. And so here's what scripture says. He woke up. He got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, if you remember in the Old Testament, is where God gave Moses the law. And here's what scripture says. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said this, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? The question implies that God didn't direct Elijah to Mount Horeb, even though it was the mountain of God. The question implies that for some reason, his misguided reasons led Elijah to Mount Sinai where he went into the cave. He went into the cave and he spent the night there. Now, why did he go into the cave? We don't know why he went into the cave. We don't know if it was because he was depressed or he was lonely or maybe he went in the cave because he was anxious or maybe he went into the cave because maybe he went in the cave because he was on the run. And he was so fearful now that that he was He was halfway strengthened by the food, but yet he had traveled 40 days and there's a lot of disequilibrium going on in the soul and he's semi-depleted and he's in that head space where he doesn't know the threat is still there. He's, He's just distorted perspective. For whatever reason, he runs into the cave. I was talking to Laura about this passage earlier in the week and I wanted her take on this. I said, Laura, so what do you think is taking place when he runs into the cave? And she had this... She had this um, really valuable insight. I kind of thought about it. She said, you know, Adam, I think he went into the cave because he was traumatized. I had never heard that before. I was like, huh, what do you you mean by that? And she said, well, Adam, if you think about it, his obedience led to a lot of people's death. You remember in chapter 17, he prophesied to King Ahab that it wasn't going to rain until he said the word? Well, When that took place in chapter 17, that meant starvation for a lot of people. That meant unemployment rates at an all-time high. That meant that it wasn't just an economic slowdown. It was an economic shutdown. And that was because Elijah prophesied to the king. He had seen those eyes and those hungry mouths. There was a price for his obedience. And then she was relaying to me, you know, Adam, you didn't tell the people last week what happened after the fire fell. I said, no, I didn't. She said, you know, after the fire fell in chapter 18, you, do, do you know what Elijah did? Scripture says he slaughtered all 850 prophets. Do you, do you imagine some of the images that were wandering through his mind when he took him to the Kidron Valley and he slaughtered him? Did he push him over? Did he tie him up? Did he burn him? Did he stone him? Who did it? Was he a part of it? Did he just order it? What was flashing through his mind? Do you, can you imagine all the traumatic images that were flashing through his mind? And he's in the cave. He's in the cave. And he gets honest with God in the cave. You know what he says? He said, Lord Almighty, I'm the only one left. I served you with all zeal and now I'm the only one left. How honest are you with God? You know, week one, we learned about Elijah and his obedience. We learned about his confidence last week, but this week, we're gonna see his honesty in action. He was honest with God. You know, sometimes I think we struggle to be honest with God because. We have this deep-seated fear that if we're truly honest with God, that he might smite us. He might just get us. And, and here's the irony of the situation. We already know that he knows everything about us, but for some reason, we think if we don't say it, he doesn't know it. It's like one of the wink-winks, right? It's like when you catch your kid doing something bad, and you're like, it's like, did you eat that cake? And they're like, uh-uh, and they got cake all around their face. Like, yes, you did. You're like, here's a mirror, you big fat liar but you don't say that, but that's what you think, right? Not Elijah. I'm the only one, God. I've been zealous for you, and now they're gonna kill me. The problem is, Elijah didn't hear the voice of God in his cave. He didn't hear the voice of God in his cave. Sometimes we don't hear the voice of God and it's not an indication that God is speaking. It's an indication that we're in the wrong place. We're in the cave when God wants to take us from the cave to the mouth of the mountain. And you know what I know about the cave? Listen, I don't know what your cave is. Maybe your cave is a cave of comparison. Maybe you look at what everybody else has in your life, which you don't have. And whenever we compare our lives, we compare our lives and it, it's, it's void of any context. Therefore, we look at what they have and we think, man, I wish they had what they have, but we don't know that, they're, <laughs> that they are just barely making the payments on what they have. And you're looking at what they have and you're so envious and you're comparing your life and they look at what you don't have and they're so envious of your satisfaction. My moms, you make cookies for your kids and you think these cookies are perfect. Your kids are fully satisfied. They love you. They squeeze you. They hug you. Everything is perfect until you go to Pinterest. And then you see other cookies and you're thinking, man, my cookies are horrible. And yet your kids loved your cookies. They ate them. It's all over their face. They're like, Mom, you're the greatest. But inside, you've, you've, you've gone into your cave of comparison. And here's what I know about the cave of comparison. Whenever you run to the cave of comparison, you fail to live out the calling that God has for you on the mountain. I don't know. Maybe it's not a cave of comparison. Maybe it's a cave of, of, of addiction or a cave of, of mental illness or a cave of Of anxiety or a cave of of control. You're controlling kind of person. Whatever your cave is, maybe this message isn't for everybody, but this message is for somebody. This message is for somebody because right now you're in your lowest valley, right now in your cave, and here's what I know about a cave a cave has sounds, it echoes in the cave. It's the sound of your past. You can't do that. You'll never be anything. It's condemnation in the cave. It's dark in the cave. You're isolated. You're alone in the cave. You know why I know the voices of the cave, the sounds of the cave? Because I've been in my own caves. And you go into the cave and the sounds drive you batty. You get triggered in the cave. Daylight comes, you step out of the cave, and you're so depleted emotionally and you've been awake for so long that you have no energy to really actually live your real life. Because the enemy has so messed with your mind in your cave. Anybody been there? I know caves. I know caves. But here's what you need to know about God. In the sounds of the cave, God says, I want you to hear my voice. I I want you to come and to meet with me. Listen to what God said to Elijah in verse 11. He said this, he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. He said, listen, I want you to hear my voice, but first you're going to have to be obedient, you're going to have to take a step, you're going to have to walk out of your cave, and then I'm going to pass you by. And then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountain's Uh, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Man, the Lord showed up like earth, wind, and fire, but he wasn't in them. Everything that Elijah knew about that about that about that moment was that God always shows up in powerful big things. But this time God was going to show up differently. Text says but he came to him with a gentle whisper. A whisper. The question is what did he say to Elijah? Answer, we don't know. But what we do know is that Elijah heard what he needed to hear. Just like God will speak to you and give you a gentle whisper for you to hear what you need to hear. I want you to listen to how Nathan and Heidi and Jeremy heard that whisper, what they need to hear in their cave and how God spoke to them. Watch this.
3: I didn't want this in my life anymore. I you know, I just closed my eyes and I just prayed. Kind of just put my hands up and I prayed. I just felt this warm hug, like grip from behind me. Um, and, uh, and I heard the words that everything was going to be okay. And i'm with you
1: god is good man like he is and i know some it doesn't work that way for some other people or some circumstances but you know we've all had those moments in our life where like we don't think god god cares but he does
2: i felt broken like he you know jesus god looking at me like man i need. This I need to pull this girl out. and um, So I felt that I was broken, but I could be healed. But it had to be, I had to want it. Like, he would be there, but I had to want it. I feel like so many things happen for a reason. And it's, I feel like God meeting you at your level, where you're at, where you're ready to let him in. As we came to church, it was the message about um, Jonah, and the whale and the boat. And Pastor Adams said something about Jonah being in the boat and the waves being so big, but he slept through it. And that was my aha moment. I was like, I need to do something. Like, I can't just stay in this boat. Like, I can sit and sleep through it. That's what I was basically trying to do, is sleep through it all, sleep through the boat crashing. But I had to get out of the boat.
1: Uh, as soon as I got... Surrendered my life to him. I got the Bible out of the jail cell there. I opened it up right away. And uh, the first verse that I had read was Isaiah forty one ten. Uh it's uh fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. Yes, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I'm like I just started crying right there. Um and like that shackle, those shackles that I referenced before, like I just felt them break I kind of feel like that was my turning point it was either
3: death or life you know so I've been uh, about 11 years sober at this point from that from that day
1: um, and if you're in your dark times that's when you gotta reach for the light. My um, tattoo. So this is uh, the Serenity Prayer. It's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Today, I want to say I got that about four months after being sober, um, but it wasn't after until I hit the two the two year mark is when I added the the chain uh, the shackle and the chain with my sober date on it.
2: Just knowing that you're not alone. That addiction comes in teenagers, in elderly, in 30-something stay-at-home moms. So um, I feel like you have nothing to lose by being honest.
0: Boy, aren't you so excited that Jesus Christ can set people free, lead them out of their caves? Man, come on, let's praise God for that. Let's praise God for Nathan and for Heidi and for Jeremy. Praise God, praise God. We're a part of a church where Jesus is changing lives. You know, what I love about their stories is that Nathan, over a decade, has been sober. Nathan's here today in this service. And Heidi, eight months sober, praise God. Eight months sober. And Jeremy, four months clean, sober. Amen. Oh, man. In fact, I, I love, if you knew how that story came together, it was an only God kind of story. I had golfed with Jeremy. He was sharing his story. I'd been walking with Heidi for months through sobriety. I, I, then I just got this email from, from Nathan. And Nathan, he said, you know, I am so quiet, introverted, but I feel like God wants me to share my story. Just before Nathan had, had emailed me, I had gotten a text from Jeremy saying, man, Pastor Adam, God is doing something. I think I need to share my story. And I knew Heidi would be all in because every month that she's sober, she texts me and said, who's six months sober? And she gives me like a ooh woo or whatever. And so, you know, here's what's amazing about Elijah though. Elijah stands on the mouth of the cave. And this is the most important part of the story, friends. God asks him again, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He asked he the question two times. You remember, he, he's seen him in the earth and the wind. He's seen him with the, the earthquake, the fire. He's seen all that. He even heard the whisper. He even, he even had a voice. Listen, friend, you can have an experience with God and you can hear his voice, but, but there is a gap between his voice and the reality of his vision for your life. Lean in. And when, and when God said to Elijah, what are you doing here in this moment? Do you know what Elijah said? Elijah didn't say, God, I got a vision. I'm ready to go. Let's go. He said the very same thing that he said when he was in the cave. He said, God, I'm the only one left. Just go and kill me. I'm done. Even after he heard the voice of God, even after God spoke to him, You know what that tells me? It tells me that even after we hear the voice of God, we have an experience with him and he gives us a vision for our life, there's a lot of fear and a lot of doubt and a lot of obedience and a lot of work that needs to be done to surrender to the Holy Spirit in giving us direction for our lives. If we want true transformation, we have to put our lives under the word of God in community and surrender to him. And that takes a lot of work. That's why I love what God said to Elijah. He said, Elijah, you need some direction. Everybody say direction. This is the most important point, direction, direction. We all know the story of maybe on the mountain and he sees all these things, the pyrotechnics, and then he hears the whisper, and we we love that. And then we, we take Psalm 46, 10, be still and know I'm God. And then we make a little card and we send it to somebody and we have our God moment. And we miss the whole idea that God then gives direction to Elijah. For a lot of us, we can fall into an infatuation with an experience of God, but we unfollow God when he wants us to follow his direction for our lives. And this is what God says to Elijah in verse 15. He said, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And you know what Elijah encountered when he went back the way he came? He encountered 7,000 Israelites who had not bowed down and kissed the idols of Baal and Asherah. You know what God was directing his life to see? He wanted him to know that he wasn't alone, that there were other people who would be faithful to the one true God. And today you need to know, listen, you need to know if you're a student, you're not the only student who is being faithful to the one true God. If you're a college kid, you're not the only college kid who's being faithful to the one true God. If you're a parent, you're not the only parent who's trying to be faithful to the one true God. If you're a retiree, if you're whatever age, whatever season of life, you're not alone. There are other people who are trying to walk this walk and live faithfully unto the one true God. And Elijah needed to see that. That's where God led him. And then he led him, here's like the bonus of it all. The bonus was after he he ran from his hill from the success to the valley, God led him back. And this is the moment in chapter 19 where he finds Elisha. Elisha is his successor. Elisha, scripture says, has a double portion of power and anointing favor, more so than Elijah. And just think, Elisha would have never been found if Elijah didn't follow the direction of the Lord. I wonder what would never be found in your life if you didn't follow the direction of the Lord. I wonder who you would pass by and miss I wonder what legacy you would forfeit because you had an experience with God, but you weren't wholeheartedly following him. And you had your justifications and your reasons and you had your small T traumas and and whatever. And you were just like, you know what? I, I want enough of him, but I'm content to being lukewarm. But to truly follow the direction that he has for your life, what would you find in that? What would you find in the valleys of your life if you knew how to keep God front and center at some of the lowest moments? What would you find there? For so many of us, we go into the valley and the number one prayer, and I'm guilty as you are guilty. I pray this, God, why? Why? And when God is beginning to show me, I heard it. I heard it in my 20s and 30s, but now in my 40s, I'm starting to pray this prayer. God, what? What are you trying to teach me and to show me and to deepen my faith in you? Not why, what? You know, when we're in our valleys, you know how we can have hope for our future, that God is gonna lead us, that God is gonna show us and direct us? Well, we can have a direction for love, a direction of hope, a direction of faith, a direction of generosity, a a direction of kindness. You know why? Because there was another man in a cave. We don't call it a cave. We call it a tomb. And his name was Jesus Christ. And when he was crucified on the cross, they laid him in a tomb. But I'm here to tell you that my faith doesn't rest in a tomb my faith, my Messiah, my Christ is alive. Because early on that Sunday morning, when those women came to prepare his body for burial, they said, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen, he has risen, he has risen, he has risen. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Let me declare that over you today. If you are a blood-bought son or daughter of Jesus Christ, according to Romans 8:11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So no matter what cave, what valley, where you are, his spirit, His spirit lives inside of you. So what's your step of direction? Where do you need to go? How do you need to follow? Would you bow your heads with me as we process the next few moments? Maybe today you're here and your step of direction is to begin to step out of your cave and to say, God, I... I, I've never even been on the mountain. I've been on some different mountains, some self-induced mountains. I've taken some drugs. I've gotten a high, but I've never been with you. I've been so bound by my guilt and my shame, and maybe your first step today is to make a decision for Jesus Christ, to say, I surrender. I wanna follow you. I need you to forgive me of my sin. You're watching online today, and you wanna let go of your sin. You you wanna let go of it. You wanna say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me, heal me, cleanse me. If that's you today, why don't you just put that in the chat? Why don't you, if you're watching on YouTube, why don't you tell somebody, In your living room, maybe pull over to the side of the road and just, just, just pause. Put on your hazards and say, "God, I need you. Forgive me." Tell somebody. DM somebody. Email us at the church. Call us. Text. Whatever. Reach out and say, "I want to give my life to Jesus." If you're in the room today and you want to make that decision. In a moment, I want you just to lift up your hand. And by lifting up your hand, you're signifying, yes, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I want him to be the Lord and the savior of my life. He's going to direct my life. If that's you here today and you want to make that decision, would you just raise your hand? I want to acknowledge that all across this room right now. Go ahead, lift it up. Who? Where? Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand, ma'am. Who else? Who else today? you need a relationship with Jesus. Yes, over here. Thank you. I see your hand. Who else? Yes, all the way in the back. I see your hand. I see your hand. All right, let's pray this prayer together. Full voice as a church family. Heavenly Father, you know me. You love me. You sent your, your son Jesus for me died on a cross, he went into a tomb, and he came back to life to win the victory and to secure my freedom. So forgive me of my sin. I repent. I'm sorry. Just tell him you're sorry. I receive your salvation by faith. In Jesus' name, Everyone who agreed with this prayer said, Amen. Hey, can we celebrate today? Can we celebrate today? Let's celebrate together.